Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an excellent orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainly concer- Sorry, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that its witness is true and that we can, can have certainty of the things that are written therein and the things that we're going to be taught from it. I pray that you be with Pastor Adam, that you would give him clearness of thought words to deliver the word to us clearly and faithfully. I pray that you would give us hearts to hear and to obey what you would say to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. This morning... It's an exciting kind of start for us this morning as we're venturing in, as you see what was read for you here in Luke's Gospel of 1, 1 through 4, is we're jumping into a long season that we'll be tracking Luke's Gospel. We'll be tackling what's considered the prologue to the Gospel this morning, so we'll really kind of kick things off with the Gospel moving next week. This week, we're handling what Luke provides us and what is considered his prologue. Right off the bat, you'll see, however, it will be no difficulty on our part to bridge the gap between the first century context that Luke wrote this prologue and making sense of our need for such a prologue and also his gospel account here in the 21st century. Again, it is no difficulty on our part to build that bridge. I was thinking of it as he speaks of our need or Theophilus' need for certainty And it's quite simply, we think of our time period as an age of skepticism. It's the air we breathe. I jotted down just briefly everything from news headlines. I'm a news junkie, so I watch or click on news and new articles. But I am sure that many of you join me in quick eye rolls once we read the news headlines. And then make your move over to politics. I mean, give me a break. The political season is kicked off with everyone making appeals to their very own set of statistics. I mean, everyone owns statistics, right, to render them as to of no standard. Go to the more hotly debated issues, such as police body cameras. Are they appropriate? Taking to the streets over cameras. Who gets to carry them? Citizens with their own personal cameras. Filming the exact same events to sales run by retailers in a classic, nothing new, bait-and-switch model. Nearly everything we are exposed to makes us ask the fundamental question, how do we know who and how do we know what to believe? Again, we saw the tragedies that take place. They seem to be here to stay for quite some time. 
within terrorism or acts of terror as we argue, are they or are they not properly considered so? And then a launching of a gun control town hall meeting and stats are swapped back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And in the end, the common individual walks away from all of the media attention and simply says, who knows? How do we know what to believe? The same spirit of skepticism enters into the realm of our faith as well. There are times when each of us go through seasons of doubt. Doubt through difficult providence seem to work in tandem regarding the truth of the Bible. Or maybe we're listening to podcasts in our generation where we have a million different voices that come together to feed us our podcasts. Various teachers. It can be a very dangerous time given our podcast environment, given our cultural propensity for biblical creativity. Someone is always finding something new. Buyer beware. Given our climate of charlatan teachers and various new doctrines and new slants and new takes and new gospels, even within the realm of our faith, we can begin to doubt or subtly wonder in flux of all the various voices coming together that seem to have their credentials put together We might simply wonder in the quietness of our heart at times, is the wonderful claim of Jesus' virgin birth true? What say of his dying for our sins as our substitute? Indeed, the claim that we heard read last week in the public hearing of Holy Scripture, the rising from the grave. Maybe if we move beyond the facts of the case even more penetrating our doubts sometimes in the experiential realm. I would ask, have you? But I already know the answer is yes. Each of us at times have questioned, perhaps circulate times, questioning the nature of the gospel's efficacy for me. That is, can my sins truly be forgiven. I hear the gospel, I'm a member of the church, I sit, I confess, and I'm creedal. But I feel more corporately so than individually. I do quietly wonder, does God really love me? You notice that in our time with Ruth, some of you were, many of you were able to be here for our time through Ruth, and you can think in your mind of Naomi. Naomi, quite confident and certain of God's covenantal love of his people. You know, his people. It creeps in to all believers at time to time, the efficacy of the gospel for me. And it is this sense of doubt, or maybe better put, instability, regarding what is to believe, what is true, what actually occurred, where did it go down, and this idea of whom exactly is telling us the truth, out of the myriad of voices coming forward to pitch their story. Whom is telling us the truth? Again, in this environment, it is not altogether unlike the first century, if we go from 21st back to the first. You see, 
Luke's gospel, by way of introduction, is traditionally thought to have written, been written somewhere around the early to mid-60s. Many of you enjoy your study Bibles, and I'm telling you nothing new if you look down at the bottom of your page right now. Or somewhere there you see that Luke's Gospels traditionally embraced and believed to have been written somewhere in the early to mid-60s. But think about that for a moment regarding the age or time of instability or uncertainty. Practically, this means that 30 years have passed by since the ministry of Christ. Think about the flow of information regarding something so incredibly important and monumental as the person and work of Christ. Think about how much information was circulating during that time with reference to what Christ did, what Christ said. During these roughly 30 years of ministry, much has been told regarding Christ and reputable preachers. Indeed, we're alive and well on the ground, as we see in the New Testament. Oral testimonies, things that swap from person to person of events that took place. Authorized village storytellers were certainly on the ground. Those who knew the details of what took place. The elders of the environment who were there. Those who were then vested with the authority to begin telling the younger and telling those who visited about the wonderful works of Jesus of Nazareth. But as each of us know, again, pairing the first and the 21st centuries together, within many stories tends to breed speculation. Some speculative thought is always tossed about, and then it's hard to know. Again, okay, this many people died by this many accidents at this many times, and the government is worth this much billions, and we're this many debts, and if I do this, I'll pass, and I'll cut the debt in half. And uh, I mean, you pass out from the statistics of it all. Who's telling the truth in all these details, all of these pieces, all of these parts? Again, mixed in with truth is seemingly always some sense of speculation or a misconstrued testimonies. I was there. I'll tell you, that's not really how it happened. What happened was, now it was me who was there. I was at the center of the story. It's actually my arm that was healed. It's actually, okay, easy, misconstrued testimony, fragmented chronologies of events. Where did it happen exactly, and how did it occur? So who told who next, and how do we have its present form? All of this occurring, certainly, for the better part of 30 years of the ministry post-Christ. So it is this lack of clear, systematic, logical, and readable testimony regarding the person and work of Christ where Luke, this morning as we'll see, steps forward in his prologue with a serious and well-researched account of the story of Jesus. Maybe you're asking at this point, and we need to cover who more. So who was he that is leading us and guiding us down this path? The New Testament is... I'll give you this little citation. You can mark it down if you wish or look at it later. I won't turn there now, but the New Testament or hearing preaching or lectures on the Gospel of Luke and considering... Second, or it was Tim... Uh, excuse me, I'm swooping up three names. It was Luke that was there even perhaps at the death of Paul. And Acts together, okay? So, so the, the same writer... And you walk away from grasping by 52 chapters, this largely unknown as a companion in the missionary enterprise. And you have two-thirds 
Paul, in that citation I gave you earlier in 2 Timothy, mentions that other outside New Testament documents make mention of Mary. He was, by all accounts, a good scholar, physician, Renaissance man, perhaps. So, so he never married. He was a scholar during those days. But what are we looking at primarily as a product of his work as Luke as we will get to know him for the next year or I'll give my Jewish scholarship refers to him. Again, they might have some skin in the game. Jewish historian. Instead of research as a historian, which we'll know and you'll see it every pastor. In order to be persuasive to the audience. Truth. This is how Luke will frame it. He's very carefully written. He was concerned with primarily eyewitness testimony. For example, looking down surviving shepherds, asking them or he to this time. Luke may have visited Mary and her family, questioning, probing to get to the information that makes a magnus testimony. This is what we're going to be so important. If Luke is so immersed, was he standing? From what vantage point could he see them when he was, we will receive from this gospel? As Luke makes clear that his intention and aware of some of the things that took place, those who already consider themselves to be faith. Look at the text real briefly as I show you, just quick afresh. In as much it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely, so read his credentials. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely. For You see, he makes very clear that what, consider for a moment here, I don't know again how much of, of Muslims and Christians worshiping the same God is exactly taking place in the ground, but we did learn of a woman recently that is going to, I'm not here to try her case. What is interesting to me at this point, Christology. Because when when thing is it for Christians to embrace Muslims on the idea of the vague way forward in the 21st century, and it isn't going away, the church must settle the Lord Jesus Christ as we confess, is one in essence with the Father. What Luke is teaching and reinforcing to a church that is exactly why I wrote for you, an orderly, readableness. It isn't enough, brother, discipleship to the Lord Jesus Christ, that indeed Muslims and Christians are Christology moving forward. This gospel is an act to gain just such clarity. I will only make one last comment because it's just, we confess these three are one. And if we lack clarity right now, you hear me and you're thinking, this is weird. Already this morning, you have confessed. We're quite honestly not sure that's one of the fun, creative things in scholarship to do, is write proposal breakdown. It could simply mean one who loves God or one who finds God lovely. That, that, that's one option of who this individual Theophilus was. Many kind of step back from there. They might, but more particular, 
stop for a moment. And that is his title that make, Luke makes right there. There's some sense that this is a man of nobility, uh, distinct sources to do the work of the interviews, kind of, you know, as he puts together what we'd consider maybe a dissertation. Tons of questions left. Uh, had the financing of the person and work of Jesus of Nazareth. That's an option during terminology that was on the ground. He didn't need to create the literary convention for a prologue, in other words, to who the man Theophilus is and why it's so important Luke saw in that man. To it says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have now, again, that's probably the fourth time I've done that to you in roughly seven years of making mention of this term he says that is being translated in your scriptures there, have undertaken. That the term is used in difficult and largely unsuccessful undertaking. They've tried to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Luke is endeavoring upon a massive, turned out to be unsuccessful, and seeing how I'm pairing it with what Luke says at the end. Let me step back, because Luke is certainly not, as we'll see next in the text, of what he is doing. Both we could zero in on the audience that he has in mind. We could zero in of the Gospels. And Luke is saying, on that scale to this point, witnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. They have received things from eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. But the massive on he goes on, therefore it seemed good to me. Having again, possibly at this point in time, historically, Mark and Matthew's gospel are in similar stories. Swap notes. If Luke is doing a historical research project on the narrative of the Lord Jesus Christ, relation. Now, Luke may have read Matthew, may have been aware of Matthew, historical purposes. Why is Luke writing? To provide you the belief. To me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly on three pieces, if you look there in the text. The first one is he makes an appeal to eyewitness testimony, right? He sat under preaching. He shared in preaching in Luke, uh, Paul's second missionary. of him, similar to LeVar Burton, you know, at the end... He says, talks, put down so much so that you might be certain in Christ's church. Finally, by way of introduction in there, a solid foundation upon which we can build our faith. See it in there in verse 4, that you may have certainty concerning the things Luke has this goal in mind for you, that you Maybe within our church body also, that are less than confident in and absolutely certain of the God. My discipleship might increase in maturity, but also to those who say, I am yet to believe, as any reader might sit, read, and receive the only Savior of mankind. Of Let us pray. Father, we ask that you that we face for Christology that we had grasped, we need this gospel. But we worship Father, Son, and Spirit. These three are one goodness. We thank you for Luke, his work, your spirit moving upon him to produce for us, Lord, a gospel of certainty. Increased our account, your word, for maturity, growth, confession, and strength. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand.